uh, we're excited uh, that God is stirring and giving you rest. Amen? Giving you rest for your souls, and we're just leaning on him today. We are uh, finishing up uh, our chapter 4 of Philippians, and last week, this was the verse that we talked, Stephen already kind of talked about it, but, uh, oh no, this is the, this is the beginning verse, sorry, we got, we'll get to the verse, uh, but remember that at the, the beginning of Philippians 4 starts with this, therefore, brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, we read this all the time, uh, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. And then goes through Philippians chapter 4 and tells us how to not be anxious and how to be mentally healthy and how to give thanks and how to control our thoughts. And now we're in this next section of standing firm. Say stand firm. Yep, we're standing firm. He's showing us how to stand firm. Because Paul's in jail, right? And so he's writing this Philippian church. He's like, come on, you guys. Like, as I'm closing out this letter, I want to just remind you how to stand strong in the Lord. How to not be wishy-washy. How to not be thrown around. How to not be uh, just eh, flaky. Don't be flaky. Let your cereal be flaky and your soul be strong. <laughs> Amen? And so last week, we, we started in kind of this section, and he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And so we kind of summed it up that, and Stephen did a great job of that this morning, that, that when need, recognizing a need meets a desire to meet that need, meets an opportunity, either the provision or the pathway to meet that need, then kingdom moments and God things happen, right? There was, there was last night at, at Judy's place, there was a need there was a desire for Judy, well, mostly to have her house by herself, but in the immediate moment for God to bring peace there. That's so what she said. I just wanted to pray that just peace because he was so agitated. And I just wanted to pray for God's peace. So there was a, a desire for God's peace. And then all of a sudden there was an opportunity. Need, desire, and opportunity all showed up in one place. Judy said yes. And we're praying that this young man has a God encounter, right? So now we're moving on today. And the next section, and they're starting in verse 11, so 11 through 13, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So we're talking today about contentment. Contentment. How many of you have ever done any carpentry work? How many of you have ever held a two-by-four in your hand? <laughs> okay, there we go, right? And what happens so often, so often, is, is people, I contracted for a little bit, and people always, well-meaningly, so, however you say that, they, uh, they're like, it shouldn't take long. <laughs> Anytime you say that to a contractor, they double, right? They, Larry, they double their price right after that. It shouldn't take long. Shouldn't take long because what you know when you go into something is as soon as you open up what you can't see, oh my. So we're blessed in this neck of the woods to be so cold that termites are like, nah, we're good. <laughs> termites are like, nah, but we do have carpenter ants. So has anyone ever opened up a wall, John, yeah, and found some carpenter ants and some rot and things have eroded, but it looks fine on the outside. And you open that up, and things are crumbling from the inside. And 
Paul here is just kind of giving it, right? Because this is all about standing firm. I share that verse every time to keep that in our mind that all of these tricks aren't just like and tips and, and whatever they are, however Paul penned these, they're insights into how to stand firm. Now, your house will not stand firm if the carpenter ants have, or if you're a little further south, the termites get in there and eat away at things pretty soon. I mean, if you've watched HGTV at all, I mean, some of those, they open up and it's just, all it's, it's just powder. There's just nothing left. How is this place even standing up, right? A lot of times the siding is holding it up or something. I don't know. The sheetrock inside is what's holding the walls up because it's all disintegrated. And so in our lives, I kind of feel like contentment or lack of contentment, discontentment is like a bunch of termites, it might not throw you for a loop the, the first second. It might not be the most heinous sin in the Bible or whatever. But what Paul is saying is if you want to stand firm, listen, listen to me. If you want to stand firm, you got to deal with the ants. You got to deal with the termites. If you as a Christ follower, do you want to stand? Does anyone want to stand firm? Yes, a few of you? All right. Those five of you, please pray for the rest of the people that are not convinced yet that they want to stand firm. Like, that should be our goal. Like, like, who gets into this relationship with Jesus and just is like, well, I hope this fails. I hope I'm not really, right? I want to serve God, but just kind of and not very well. Like, we don't, like, that's not what's in our head. Like, I want to stand firm for God. I want to live my life for Christ. I don't want to be thrown around and having heart issues, you know, like spiritual heart issues. And like, I want to, I want to be solid. I want to produce fruit. You know, Jesus kind of said something about producing fruit. Like got being a healthy tree and having fruitfulness in our life. I want that to be me. And so if you don't deal with, or if you're talking about fruit, right? If you don't deal with, uh, you know, why they wrap the white stuff around the trees, right? To keep the bunnies from eating them and the critters and right, right? Like you have to do the stuff to keep it from eroding. And that's what I think, that's at least my idea of what I think Paul is kind of saying, watch out for, this discontentment. And so right away, I couldn't help but think of poor David, you know, when he's on the run from Saul. You know, sometimes things go from bad to not even as good as it was before it was bad. You know, it was like bad to badder, badder. And, uh, King David, he was anointed king, but he's on the run, and Saul's chasing him, and it's just a bad thing. But we read in 1 Samuel 22, if you, if you know the story, David left Gath and escaped. Say escaped. escaped. Right? Escaped. That's, if, you're, if, if there's any word that's describing your life, and, and they use the word escaped, well, there's probably something funky going on. Okay? So David is on the run. He's escaped to the cave, right? He's living in a cave. I don't know if you've been in caves much. They're not like the Hilton, right? So his life is not necessarily in a fantastic place to begin with. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Listen to this. All those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him. Oh, yay, what a cheerful bunch, <laughs> right? Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I, I work at that place. <laughs> or, or we just got done with the holi holidays. I, I, went, I visited that place. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And uh, just this distressed. I just thought, what a great picture. When you're not walking in contentment, 
Like this, the verse doesn't say this. We just know this from experience. When you are not content, when you don't let the, the saturation of contentment still your heart, you often end up in distress and in debt. Let that just kind of settle in. If you don't deal with the contentment issue in your life, the distress of life will throw you around. Anyone ever, don't, don't raise your hands, but anyone ever feel like you've been in a season where every little thing in life is just kind of throwing you all around? Yeah? That's distress, man. Contentment guards our heart. It shores up the foundation of our houses so that we're not blown around. Right? I just, I actually, just as an announcement, I was going to announce this earlier as well. I do, some of you don't even know that I didn't have a phone, but if you called me, I have not called you back because I did not get your call because I have not had a phone for 17 days. Finally got texting and messages to work about halfway through, so I have responded to some of you in text, so I apologize. I'm not ignoring you. Stop hating me for that reason. Okay? So uh, I do have, I got my old phone working again. Uh, it's an issue on their end, and they're trying to take care of it. So we got new phones, and but um, I was spent a lot of, lot of, lot of days on customer service trying to make heads or tails out of what is going on with this ridiculous problem that we're having with the phone. And I got awfully consumed with trying to get a phone that works. And I was in a season of distress. <laughs> and my wife can attest to the fact that I was maybe blown around a little bit. Things that maybe normally wouldn't be that big a deal because I was so focused on that and had expended so much energy on that and wasn't spending as much time with Jesus and focusing on the things that like I was kind of thrown around a little bit. So I'm happy to have that off, off the burner just for a minute. We're going to try again next week. But if you just are giving in to distress, you will end up being discontented and you'll end up in debt. And so this is, I just thought, just as a little side note before we go back to Philippians, I just thought that was interesting that they put those three in the same category because, yeah, that's where we end up in our life. So let's, let's talk about contentment. A guy named Jeremiah Burroughs, he was born in 1600, he said this, Christian contentment, okay, so we're talking about the same kind of contentment that Paul's talking about, is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's a mouthful and yet that's a mouthful, and it's borderline old English. I mean, it's not, but it's, they write a little bit differently back then. But it's this inward thing. Like, just close your eyes for one second and think of contentment. What are you thinking of, right? It's this, it's the inward, right? I'm content. Oh, all is right in the world, right? My soul is at rest. It's kind of what we were talking about this morning. My soul is at rest. And so what Jeremiah said, you know, four and a half hundred years ago, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. And then here's the tricky part, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So let's talk about what we know about contentment. What do I know about contentment? I know, number one, not all Christians are content. <laughs> it... Uh, you would think, you know, that if I, if I know Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory in my life, right? Right? Wait a minute. Come to Jesus, and all your problems will go away. 
right? We've replaced Calgon with Jesus. There's a few of you that are old enough to remember that commercial. Calgon, take me away, right? And we think as soon as I know Jesus, then this realm on earth that I'm walking out will now be problem free. Jesus handles everything and it's all good, right? Man, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He gives us supernatural strength and power to deal with things. But you know what? One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. What do you need patience for? <laughs> things that I don't want to be patient about. It clues you in just right there. Just like it doesn't even have to say in this world, Jesus said, in this world you're going you're gonna to face trouble. You don't even have to say that. You just have to say, well, one of the fruits that I'm going to give you is patience. Only time you need patience is when things aren't really going your, your way on your timetable. Yes or no? Yes. True. Like, just the very presence of God in your life, like, he's cluing us in that it, it's not just all rainbows and unicorns, right? Roses and rose petals and, and waterfalls. It's like there's, you know, there's real stuff to walk through here. And I, I realize that not all Christians, including myself at times, are content. It's not part of the, one of the things I read somewhere was, it's not, it's not part of the, what do they call it? The, the base package. You know, when you go, anyone ever bought something and they're like, oh, if you upgrade, you not only you can get, so for this, yeah, you can get this much. But if you upgrade, right, for $5 a month more, oh, you get the extras included with that. Well, Christian contentment isn't automatic. When you come to the altar and you bow your heart before Jesus, you've, the opportunity is automatic, but it doesn't automatically take it like it doesn't, it's not one of the factory settings from heaven. Amen? <laughs> Nobody's ever experienced discontentment here. Okay, all right, then. It is not automatic. Here, what else do I know about contentment? I know that it can be learned. And I, the temptation is there for us a lot of times to blame, to blame, no, no, hang with me, all right? Maybe pull your toes in a little bit because this might hurt, but there's a temptation to blame our lack of spiritual growth and character often on our personalities. And we feel like that's a get out of jail free card. Well, I don't, I don't look and act like what the Bible tells me in this area because I'm Polish or because I was raised this way or because I fill in the blank. Well, God never said, well, hey, all of you non-Polacks, <laughs> go ahead and have the fruit of the Spirit in this way. All of you who had a rough childhood, go ahead and look like this. All of you, right? There's not like groups like that. There is Jesus enters your life and you now have the opportunity to surrender to him and let the character and fruit and nature of God transform you from the inside out, period, end of story. That's it. And we feel like we're like, well, no, this is just how I am. Well, I'm just more of a realist. Okay, hold on now. Contentment. Paul is just saying, I've learned it. Paul's probably saying, I probably wasn't content automatically. If he learned it, there was a time he didn't learn it, correct? Yeah, I'm not maybe saying this. Am I just, he didn't have it? Then he learned it. He learned how to be content. In fact, he said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. I've learned the secret of being content. Look at somebody with your beady eyes right now and say, you can learn. 
<laughs> you can learn. You can learn. The problem is a lot of us don't want to learn. Come on. The struggle is, wait a minute. If I start to be content, then I don't get to come over and talk to my mother-in-law and complain about my wife. Because <laughs> that would just get me death instantly anyways. <laughs> it would be, there would be no mercy from Grandma Kath, right? Kath, the wrath of Kath, exactly, right? If I, if I start to dwell in contentment, half of your guys' conversations would go away. You wouldn't know what to talk about. Wow, Jerry, they're just mad at me now. They're just like, we're not even, even going to listen to you anymore. Torqued off. You say things like that. Right? It affect, like, when the growth of God starts to affect our coffee time conversations, we know that we're growing. Right? When we, have to, when we have to refrain from things, not because God might strike me dead, but because that's not part of my, who I am anymore. Huh. Christian contentment messes with my woe is me and look at have feel sorry for me. Man, I'm just, tell, I'm just telling you about my week. <laughs> I'm no, we're not even talking about you right now. We're just talking about me right now. Uh, if I learn to be content, I give up a right for sympathy for a lot of things. I give up a right for blame for a lot of things. If this ain't messing with you, I don't know, you're in the wrong place. I don't know, you're just, you're already advanced beyond this message, but Paul put it in there for a reason, so I, I think maybe we need to hear it. All right, you ready? Here we go. Oh, yeah. That is a Reuben to end all Reubens. That's pastrami right there, or uh, corned beef right there, and that is something else. That is in, uh, I don't know, in Indian, I know, yeah, it's a pretty cheesy grin there, yep. It is, uh, it's something. That is in Indianapolis at some deli that we stopped at on our, on our trip. And I'll tell you what, I'm flying pretty high right there. I am loving life. Like, life is really, really good right now for me right there. In that picture, and I had matzo ball soup, which I've never had before, with chicken noodle broth. Oh, dear Lord, have mercy. It was so good. It was so good. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's in just, uh, what, Brevard, North Carolina? I forget what the name of that waterfall is, but I'm with my wife on a beautiful day. We're in front of a waterfall. I love taking pictures, so I've got my tripod. I've got the big camera out, right? This isn't on my phone. This is on the big camera. I don't bring the big camera out very often, so we're on vacation. I get to take pictures, and there's not the last time we were there a few years ago. There was, there, the water's down right now. Where we're standing used to be a, a puddle, like a pool. And so there's, there's hundreds of people that go there. So we're all, I mean, there's all these photographers that are taking these pictures. And <laughs> I was not content in that situation. So we're all lining up and we're setting long exposures, you know, for the waterfalls and stuff. And so there's a lady out there that just, oh, she was, she was content. She was living her best life in the pool. <laughs> oh, and she's like 50 years old. And she's just out in this pool and right here right in front of the waterfall in a pseudo bathing suit just oh she just oh she oblivious to all of us that were trying to capture a picture of the moment 
to get published in Outdoor Photo Magazine or whatever. She was just doing her thing. <laughs> well, on this moment, that lady was not there. And there was only a few people there, and we got to take our time. And I was just loving it. There was frost on the, all these flowers and these, I don't remember what trees they were. It was just gorgeous. It was beautiful. I was very content. And then we were in St. Louis. There's, oh, we're going somewhere. Man, we're going somewhere with this. Trust me. There's the, this is the buildup. This is the buildup before the hammer drop, right? Okay? Just come, come along with me on a, on a wonderful adventure. We are eating at, uh, I remember the name of, it's in, it's in The Hill in St. Louis. And they are known for deep fried pasta, or for uh, raviolis, deep fried raviolis. And it was glorious. And this restaurant was on Triple D or whatever. And so it was just, our waitress was amazing. And Marnie got the fettuccine, uh, the, what's the green stuff? The pesto, pesto with goat cheese. And so I ate my raviolis, and she didn't really want many, so we shared whatever she, whatever she wanted. And then she got full, and she's like, do you want the rest of mine? I'm like, oh, do I ever. <laughs> and so and some of you know my vinyl taco story. That was the only, only time that, that I've ever teared up from food that I remember. You know, it was vinyl taco in, in Fargo. But we're eating here, and it's just been this glorious day. And the, and the hill is this most incredible neighborhood. And I'm eating her pasta, and I've already eaten, so I'm not even starving anymore. And I eat this, and I'm like, this is so good. And every bite, I'm like, this is so good. And then one of my bites, I get a big chunk of goat cheese. And it was so, like, it was, I told Marnie, I said, it's like the heavens open, and I got this big hug from Jesus. <laughs> and everything kind of goes quiet. And she looks at me. With, with disgust in her face, which is not uncommon. <laughs> and she goes, leans in, and goes, are you crying? <laughs> and I hadn't even really, I, and I'm like, I am. I'm so sorry. And she likes the emotional moments of our dates to be more towards her than the food, <laughs> which is why she gets upset. But, like... We are, we are about four minutes away from that moment of bliss where I'm like, I'm on a trip, I'm with my wife, and I just had the most glorious bite of goat cheese pesto that I think has ever been created on the face of the earth. And I, I'm just, everything is so good in my life right now. Like, I just, like, rapture is like, probably feels like this. And the last picture here is Callie with the greasy rag and Taylor. And uh, one of the things that moves my heart is summer nights. Like fall is my favorite season, but on those summer nights when it's finally cool enough that you can stand being outside and it's 70 degrees and your kids are out there playing and Taylor's doing what he loves and Callie's just interfering and doing what she loves. And like, you're just like, I mean, the birds are singing and the sun is setting and you're just like, Ah, oh, Jim and Kathy are piddling away in their camper, and right, and just coffee. I've got coffee in my hand. Like this, this is bliss. This is perfect. I love this. I love family. I love, like I thought of like a hundred other pictures I was gonna put. Up. I'm like, we gotta stop somewhere, Marnie. Marnie, we gotta stop somewhere. She's like, yeah, like four pictures ago would have been enough. What's What's the point of all this? It's one more thing that I know about contentment. It's not dependent on circumstances.
Every one of those pictures that I showed you was, was a legitimate capture of my heart being so filled with awe and love and wonder and bliss. But you know what? That's not true Christian contentment. Now, it doesn't take anything away from those moments, but it's not what Paul's talking about here. Are you with me? It is not about that. And that's the problem where we want contentment. I feel like I've got to massage my external circumstances enough so that I can be content in here. When the things out there matches the things up here, then the things in there are going to be gooder and gooder. And those moments are real. Man, I get like kind of choked up just thinking about it. Like, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. And that's where I think our struggle is with contentment. We've got this false idea that my life has to match the image and the picture that I've got in my mind in order for my heart to really experience true contentment. I'll be content when she does this, when he does that, when they do this, when I have that, when this is that. Trust me, when you get there, guess who's going to be there? You. Yeah, that's the problem with our contentment is you keep showing up to all these pictures that you have in your mind. Guess what you bring with you? Your false expectations and disappointments and not at all what Paul's talking about here. I want you to, like, here, I'm going to give you a nugget that we're going to walk away with today, hopefully, and it's going to be worth, worth the price of admission today. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be autarkies. Autarkies. I don't know how you say it. I've learned to be a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to be whatever this Greek word is here, and it is really curious what this Greek word is here. Here's what it means. Now, just uh, stay with me through the definition because you, you might get a wrong idea. Just hang on. But this is what the Greek word means. Artarkis. It means sufficient for oneself, strong enough or processing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. And it would, you would tend to think, well, Paul's saying, I've learned to be self-sufficient in every circumstance because that's what the word means. But if you read Paul's writing, and if you read Jesus' writing, they'll tell you the opposite of that. They'll tell you we're not sufficient in ourselves. We don't have what it takes. Paul will be the first one to tell you, I don't have what it takes. Paul's going to be the one to say, man, it's all the sufficiency of Jesus and nothing of me. I don't have what it takes. Here's what I was. Pharisee of Pharisees, born and circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He's, he's going to give you a litany of things, how he's got it together. And he's going to say, you know what all that is? Rubbish right? I don't have the sufficiency. And all of a sudden he says, you want, you want to, you want to find peace in all this? Then you need to be self-sufficient. Wait a minute, Paul, what are you talking about here? What he's saying is, and, and a couple, like, we're going to sum it up with this, but we're going to give you another slide here. Self-sufficient and not dependent on external circumstances to provide an internal ease and a sweetness of spirit. Andrew Davis, um, reading his book, The Power of Christian Contentment, he says, one of the most stunning aspects, aspects of Paul's teaching is the Greek word he uses, which most English translations, translations render as content. The simplest translation of that word is self-sufficient, as though Paul were claiming to have learned the secret of having enough in and of himself, which we know is not what he's saying. 
But if it is true that apart from Christ we can do nothing, why does Paul use the term self-sufficient for the secret state he has achieved? He says this, I believe Paul was speaking at a much higher spiritual level about learning to live a life, listen, free from any dependency on anything in all creation whatsoever. He's saying, I've learned to depend on God regardless of. If there's great things in life, great. If there's trials in life, great. I've learned that my sufficiency depends on his sufficiency, period. That I am self-sufficient in and of the fact that Christ is in me. That's what that means. Not like self-Paul, meaning that internally, if Christ is in me, I can have Christ in anything else, and it's enough. I can have Christ in nothing else, and it's enough. I'm, I'm sufficient in him. I'm leaning, which is what we talked about this morning. I'm leaning on him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. It's so true. We feel that there's this external, I need this to be right, and I need that to be right, then I can finally be content. No, man, you're just, you're just chasing a pipe dream. You're chasing an image that isn't real. You're not going to be content. And Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances and content in ev- any and every situation. Look at that. Was that? I'll do it again. Look, it goes right back. It was my first transition. Here we go. Content. I know. Little things, right? Content whatever the circumstances and content in every in any situation. This is the guy who's in a smelly, hopeless, dark prison who's had people reject him after he's lived a life of kind of honor because he was a Pharisee, right? And now people want to kill him. I don't think we get the gravity of that. He's lost his reputation. He's lost his income. He's lost, he's lost everything to serve Jesus. And that's the guy writing this from that prison that's saying, you know what, man, I'm not, I'm not belittling what you're going through, but I'm telling you what you're going through has no bearing on the contentment of your heart. That's what he's just trying to open that up. He's, he's not saying if we belittle our circumstances enough, then we can be content. He's not, I'm not saying that at all. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever the I've learned that my contentment is not circumstantial. It's not dependent on what you say to me, on how my car runs today, on like what I have and what I don't have. It's not hinging on that. So what makes us discontent? So Christ offers us this, this zone where we can say, all right. And, and, and some of you know that this is true about the external circumstances. How many of you have ever been to a third world country? We used to do mission trips to, to Mexico. I mean, we've never been overseas, but when you see people with huge smiles on their face that have dirt floors, and, you know, we were in one village, and they, they butchered a goat for us. And they didn't have anything. Like, they didn't have anything to eat. And there they are giving us, like, and they were so excited to do it because Americans were there. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we love you guys, but Wow. Teach us, please, and just watch the contentment of their life. Contentment, not in the sense that we're never aspiring for anything more. That's, that's not the kind of, it's a, a condition of my heart 
that it's all right, that, I, that God will get me through this, that we're good, that I don't have to have things working out. Of course we work to better things or whatever, but it, the, my contentment doesn't depend on that. So when I get discontent is when I get my eyes on, on you and your stuff. When I, when I start really focusing on, Barney, let me tell you what she said to me the other day. Let me tell you what he said to me. You know, Ed, you, just, you wouldn't believe what they came in here and did to me the other day. I can't believe that they got a new car and I've got one with a transmission going out. I work a lot harder than they do, right? I mean, we kind of went through some of this in our victim mentality, but that, like, that will erode and destroy any sense of contentment that you've built in your heart once you start looking at how people are treating you and what they have and what I don't have. Vanishes like smoke. Because that's not where our eyes are meant to be looking at. Comparison will destroy it. I get discontent when I start to question God's character. When I start to say and believe things about God that the Bible tells me is not true, there's a, there's a disharmony in my spirit with what is true and what I'm thinking about God. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to walk through doubts and whatever, and that's not what I'm talking about. But when I start to rehearse and believe things about God that are not true according to things about his character and who he is, when, when God doesn't show up in the way that I thought he should, well, he must be blank. Is, does the word of God say he is that? Well, I feel that he is that. But who said he, like, right? And we could all share stories. But when God didn't come through in a way that I thought he should have come through, that I thought this about God, and I found out later that wasn't true. It was just my experience of that. So we can't, we've got to judge God based on what he says about himself, not how I feel about me and him in this situation. And that's tough to do. I'm just going to say, that's tough to do. And the last thing on this list, there should be about 40 things on this list, but we don't have time for that. When I focus on the circumstances, we already, we already talked about that. Funny story, a guy, old, old days story, a guy came to a rabbi and, and said, Rabbi, there's, there's nine of us living in our house and it is so miserable and none of us have our own space. There's nine of us in there and he was looking for advice and the rabbi said, you go home and you get one of your goats and you bring in the house for a week and then come back and talk to me. Well, what's that? Just go get a goat, bring it in the house, live with the goat in the house for a week and then come back and talk to me. Okay, so he goes home, now there's nine plus a goat. So the goat's in the house, right? They live, they go through the week, living their life, and then he comes back, talks to the rabbi. He's a rabbi, this is miserable. The goat is smelly, and it stinks, and it's on top of the furniture, and it's eating everything. He said, put the goat back outside for a week, and then come back and talk to me. Comes back a week later, he says, Rabbi, this has been the most awesome week of my life. There's only nine of us in the house. Right? Perspective. Perspective. Let's finish up here. For our own contentment, Andrew Davis says this, for our own contentment, we must become more and more God-centered, focused on the plans and glory of the Father. Much of our discontent, easy now, comes from our selfishness in pursuing our own agendas, seeking our own glory, feeding our own lusts. Well, nothing like a nice gentle way of saying it. We were created to be God-centered, servants of his will, moment by moment. 
I love it. He talks about subtraction. Listen to this. We become content not by adding to our possessions and pleasures, but by subtracting from our desires. Hold on. Let me read that again. We become content not by adding to our possessions, not by stuff and pleasures, but by subtracting from our desires, carving them down until they equal what our loving Heavenly Father chooses to provide. Worldly people are restless because they always desire more, more, a little more. J.D. Rockefeller, you guys have heard of him, who relentlessly built an empire that controlled 90% of the oil industry in the United States. When asked how much is enough, his famous reply was, just a little bit more. And when you're discontent, guess what? It's just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I'll be happy when. Just a little bit more. There's just a little bit more. And Jesus said, there is a place that you can live that is free from that pursuit of fill in the blank, whatever it is. Just a little bit more relationship. Just a little bit more love. Just a little bit more affection. Just a little bit more accolades. Just a little bit more appreciation from my boss. Just a little bit more fill in the blank. A little bit more toys to play on my off days. A little bit more rest. A little bit more whatever it is. Then I'll be content. No, then you'll just find another little bit more blank to fill out. Yeah, it's never enough. Here's a, here's a nice gentle way as we're just about done. Has Christ crucified and resurrected on your behalf done enough to make you content today, or must he do a little more? Anyone else want to throw up? <laughs> Last slide here. As a despairing, lost people, look on and see a buoyant peace and joy that is not based on favorable earthly circumstances, but rather on faith in Christ. They'll ask you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That hope shines most brilliantly when our earthly circumstances are the darkest and the rare jewel of Christian contentment is a radiant source of that light. Wow. Paul said, Paul said this, I've learned the secret of being content. Now, you can read that two ways. We're just about done. We're, we're, this is our exiting. I've learned the secret of being content. That you, you could think of it like most of us would think of that. I've learned the secret of making a great hot sauce. I've learned the secret of making an apple pie. I've learned the secret of, of having good friendships, right? I've learned the secret of a great marriage. I've learned the secret of being content. And I think he does. He, he talks about his dependence on the Lord, right? Not on external circumstances. But I think it could also mean this. Verse 1 says, this, this is how you, stand, how you stand firm. I've learned the secret of contentment. Like, one of the secrets of standing firm is contentment. So you can read it like, I've learned the secret of contentment, you know, how to be content, or you can read, I've learned one of the secrets of standing firm is contentment. I was more impressed with that than you guys are. <laughs> I was just letting that settle in my heart this morning. I'm like, I've learned the secret of, like, the secret that I've learned to stand firm, one of those secrets is contentment, of being content, of not, of, one of the ways, one of the secrets to my firm stand in awe of Jesus and walking that out, not having my heart moved and tugged by everything that happens to me is learning that contentment's not based on external circumstances and I've got everything that I need with the sufficiency of Jesus Christ living in me, through me, and among me. I have what I need and I can stand firm in him. That's one of the secrets. It's one of the secrets to standing firm. Contentment. When my heart is content, I stand firm. 
When I walk in contentment, when I'm not chasing every little thing, all of a sudden I hear the voice of the Lord. All of a sudden I see things more clearly. All of a sudden I see needs in others. And the verse right before it, I see desire, I have a desire to meet needs as I have an opportunity. Like I start to, the kingdom flow moves through my life when I'm content because I don't hang on to things as tightly. So I'm more generous, right? It all starts this kingdom flow of my gifts. Like I can serve someone that I might be jealous of because I'm no longer jealous of them because I've learned to be content, right? There's this flow. We're learning to have a healthy kingdom flow. I lied to you. I said I was done, but okay, now we're done. (laughs) God, help us to be content. Lord, I just pray that you just expose areas in our heart where we feel like we've got to have this or that, and there's this this rot of discontentment. Lord, expose that so we can uh, dig that out and just replace it with the foundation of knowing that you are our sufficiency, God. You are more than enough. We just thank you today that you treat us with tenderness and gentleness. Even when you step on our toes this morning, uh, we know that you're good and you want to lead us through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen.